You're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 115. What's going on, Mark? Jake, you and I are just talking on the mic. It's um, it's been crazy. We've been so busy. But let me tell you what else is crazy, Jake. You know, we talked a while last couple episodes, and I talked a little bit about my views on climate change. And I've had all kinds of people just reach out to me, and they're upset <laughs> with me um, because they don't agree with my opinion. Uh, in fact, somebody actually that had left us a five-star review went back and changed their review to, th- I think, three stars because of my opinion on climate change, which I just think is silly. It's um, one of the great things about living in this country is you can have differences of opinion. And, and I actually, I like to surround myself with people that think differently than me, right? It helps you think yeah. outside the box, look at other angles. Um, I mean, you know, you and I both fought for our country so that these people could think differently than, than exactly. we do. So come on, people. And, and let me just clear up something. It's not that I'm a climate denier. It's, that's not true at all. I actually understand client, client science decently, right? I've done my research. I understand how things work at a very high level. I'm not a, a client scientist, but um, the thing is, I know the climate's changing. I know global warming is real. The thing that I say is nobody's proven yet that man's activity has ch- increased the rate of global warming. That's, that's all I'm saying. You know, we're either in the ice age, which is a period of global cooling. And if you're not in the ice age, you're in a period of global warming by default. So that's, that's, that's all I'm saying. But for everybody there out there that disagrees with me, I think it's awesome. I'd love to engage with dialogue with, you know, reach out to me and let's talk about it. But don't do things like change the show reviews. I mean, that just, that, you know, that just makes me laugh. I totally agree. All right, let's jump to our 2017 on the road sponsors. Huge shout out to Total Land the world's most advanced field land management system. Essentially, it's the landman's virtual office. And then Lee Hecht and Harrison, global experts. Yep, you did what I did. I get called this all the time. It's Lee Heck Harrison, not and. It seems like it should be an and. I feel like there should be an and. So it's Lee Hecht Harrison. So they called you out on that? (laughs) Yeah, they called me out on that. Actually, it wasn't the people that worked there. It was somebody that was listening to the show. Um, actually said there's no and in there. It's like, you know what, you're right. Let's just say LLHH. <laughs> so they're currently helping 75% of Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplify the complexities of leadership and workforce transformation. Yep. So if uh, thanks, hats off to our on-the-road sponsors. It allows the whole crew to travel, uh, to go to all the different conferences, to meet all our listeners. Um, so we really love these guys. Go check them out. Jake will put links in the show notes. And then if you want Jake and I to come talk to your trade association, your school, your company event, uh, your sales and marketing means whatever. Reach out to Jake. We'd love to share the details. Uh, we actually have a whole bunch of colleges we're going to start uh, visiting this fall, Jake. Yeah, we have a pretty much a full roster this uh, or full calendar this next semester. I think we've got at least, let's say, half a dozen to a dozen schools lined up. Yeah, and so if you want to get added to the list, just reach out and we'll, we'll talk talk through it and let you know what it takes. All right, let's jump into the news. So the first article, right off the bat, this is just ridiculous. We had a, we had a, a mutual friend send this over to us. Um, I hadn't actually seen it. Uh, it's an article from CNBC. Uh, the title is, $25 oil is coming, a new world order along with it, says Think Tank. Um, so they're saying that the world as we know it will be no longer, and the balance of power on, on a global scale will shift all in the next decade. Um, so they're pretty much claiming that because of the rise of self-driving cars, uh, and all the new technology around that, and that it's going to cause the commodity prices to drop to $25 a barrel, and pretty much oil and gas will be no more by like 2025 or something like that. 
Yeah, and they also talk about how uh, at $25 that a lot of the oil and gas fields that are more expensive are just going to be stranded. And that also means that all the, the um, refineries and the pipelines associated that is going to be stranded. And, and basically they say the world's not going to stop driving. People are just going to switch to uh, self-driving electric vehicles, uh, which will become a larger part of the sharing economies. And then nobody needs oil and gas. The problem with that is he's so completely wrong. <laughs> it's just on so many levels. Now, I, I will say this much, and we've talked about this before. Here and in Europe, we, we're using less and less oil and gas for fuel than we do than we did in the past. And that trend will continue. But we're using more and more of it to make stuff. So um, um, this uh, think tank uh, is built around Stanford University. And the professor that put this article together is Tony Seba. Tony Seba, I do have one thing to ask you. That electric car, that self-driving car, where do you think the plastics came from there in that car? Are the rubber on the, to make the tires, the insulation around the wiring, uh, all the sealants, the paint? <laughs> you know, where did the energy come from to, to turn that, uh, to, to smelt that aluminum? All that came from oil and gas. And, and then there's no other way to, to replicate that cheaply than by using hydrocarbons. And, you know, that's the problem that a lot of people don't understand. They don't understand the science. And they think that oil and gas is just used for fuel. It's used to make almost everything in our modern life. And, and that's not going to change. It's actually, it's actually growing like crazy. Um, things like composites. Uh, composites are starting to be used in everything from airplanes to uh, automobiles to even the blades on wind turbines. Those composites come from the oil and gas industry, people. Um, so this is this article. It's funny, Jake, that you found this. It just goes to show you how some people, even people that are professors at major universities, are separated with the, from the science and the reality of, of the world we live in. So this is a perfect example of you know somebody that's in a position of power that's actually out teaching students at a major university doesn't really understand material science. It doesn't have a clue, but he has an opinion on it, and his opinion is wrong. Um, and so it's just, uh, if, if you're listening to this, Jake, I have a link to this one in the show notes. You have to go read this, if nothing else, just to laugh. Um, but the thing about this, Jake, that's kind of scary for me is how many people do you think believe this? I mean, I bet it's a lot. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and this is in CNBC. This is not you know some publication nobody's ever heard of, and it's from a Stanford University professor. You know, it's, um, I had a conversation with somebody just a few days ago via email, and one of the things that I brought up is, um, you know, you, you can measure a, people's ability to uh, think critically. And here in Europe, our ability to think critically as a population is on the decline, which is scary. Um, I mean, and here's a perfect example of somebody that could not think critically who's in a position to educate our young people. So, um, you know, if you're listening out there, take a read this article and, and see what I mean when I say that, you know, major people, people with a scientific background that don't understand our industry, put stuff out there that's just wrong. And so if this one's wrong, how many other ones out there are wrong, Jake? <laughs> countless. Yeah, countless. countless. And if Stanford wants us to come out and uh, debate this, we're more than willing to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what would be the fuel, Jake, that would get us to Stanford in that 747? I'm pretty sure that's going to come from oil and gas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Unless there's uh, some new all-electric uh, ride-sharing airplanes that we don't know about. You know, you know, it's funny you bring it up. I actually had somebody send me an article about a company on the East Coast that's looking at building um, all-electric planes. And I had to reply back to him. I said, you don't understand simple physics. You can't build a passenger plane that's electric. It just won't happen. The batteries are too heavy. You don't have enough energy density in those batteries for their weight to actually physically be able to make that happen. And yes, you can make an electric plane, but one that can carry people, you know, 
at 300 miles an hour over, you know, two or 3,000 miles? No, it's, it's, it's physically impossible. Yeah, not, anyway, not at least until batteries make a, a whole bunch of advances. Yeah, we need – well, we actually need that as a whole. I mean, now we're going to get off on the side subject. But part of the uh, issue with all the renewables is, is we need to be able to store that power. And until we be able to get, get to the point where we can do that economically – um, a lot of it just gets wasted. So you're right. We do need a big battery breakthrough. Fortunately, there's a bunch of really smart people out there uh, working to do that. One of them actually owns uh, a company that builds electric cars. Yep. All right. Up next, we get two articles about Saudi Arabia. Uh, the next one is from Oil Price. Uh, it's titled, Did Saudi Arabia Play Trump? Uh, Saudi officials repeatedly described President Donald Trump's visit to uh, Riyadh as historic, calling his meeting with rulers of the six-member GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, a landmark event. Do you have any thoughts on this? Oh, you can stop there. <laughs> just leave me hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- there's a bunch of stuff going on in here. One is our previous administration, actually our kind of our previous two administrations, um, did not play nice with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is in a unique position. So Saudi Arabia is the biggest member of OPEC. So they're the uh, consortium that tries to control uh, world uh, oil supply and therefore sup- uh, prices. Um, they're also in a part of the world where they have enemies literally on their borders, people that hate their guts. And so we've always, or not always, but for a very long time, from a military point of view, from a political point of view, we've been allies. And that was a good thing. We need an ally in the Middle East. I mean, we just from a, a, a political point of view, not even from a military point of view, we need an ally over there. And so our relationship with Saudi Arabia has always been good. Um, if you're old enough to remember, Saudi Arabia and, and Ronald Reagan hatched the idea of, of trashing world crude prices to put the former Soviet Union out of business, and it did. Um but our last two administrations have been going the opposite way. So it's almost like you have an ally, Jake, and all of a sudden you turn your back on them. You let bad stuff start happening. You don't help them. And that's what's been happening. And so the Trump administration, and whether they have this thought out completely, I don't know. Because like I said, we heard that Donald Trump listens to this show, but we don't know for sure. Um, <laughs> but it's um, he's back there over trying to rebuild that relationship. And I think it's the right thing to do. And yes, people out there, I know there's human rights violations um, I, I agree that, that uh, Saudi Arabia's record on human rights violation needs to be improved. They say they're working on it, um, but at the same time, we need a solid ally in that part of the country. And it looks like not only Donald Trump, but uh, Rex Tillerson and, um, and Mathis is all working to, to restore that relationship. So that's what this is really about, to restore that relationship. Um, and and, I, and I, I think they will. I think they're working on it um, right now, and I think I see some promising movement over there. So um, some of the younger crown princes over there are actually big fans of our current political administration, which I think is a good thing. So the last half of the article was focusing on the signing of a U.S.-Saudi military cooperation agreement over the next 10 years, uh, which is worth over $350 billion. Is that a good thing? Yes. And let me tell you why it's a good thing. I, and, you know, I, I know the oil and gas industry. I, I don't know other industries. I don't know the military industry, all those suppliers. I mean, we, you and I both touched that, like literally both touched that years ago. Um, but those arms, and Jake, re- repeat that number again. It wasn't million, was it? It was $350 billion. Right. That $350 billion worth of military supplies should come from the U.S. I mean, and I'm being totally pro-American right now. I'd like our um, military uh, institutions, I'd like our uh, Department of Defense contractors to win those awards and build all that equipment and supply it to the Middle East. Historically, that's what we've done. Um, and, and I would like to see that money be dumped in our economy. And if not, they're going to buy it from somewhere. And I would just yeah. rather us sell it to them. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Uh, next one is from oil price as well. Um, the uh, Saudi finance minister was quoted as saying, I wouldn't care if the oil price is zero. So the Saudi deputy crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, unveiled the nation's ambitious Vision 2030 in an interview uh, this past April. The roadmap lays out a variety of economic reforms that will transform Saudi Arabia away from oil and to a broader array of investments. We've talked about this a lot on past episodes, probably not recently, but I'd say over the last probably three or four months. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia is looking to diversify their portfolio because they've been so reliant on oil and gas over the last 20, 30, 40 years, uh, however long it's been. Um, and obviously, with the lower crude prices, they've taken a, a massive hit. And so they want to uh, set themselves up for the future. So what are your thoughts on this, Mark? Yeah, so so from a political point of view, if I was um, uh, a member of the uh, Saudi Arabia population, this would be an awesome thing. I actually kind of think it's a good thing for the U.S. as well in a kind of roundabout way. But basically, you hit the nail on the head, Jake. They, they're trying to get their economy from being solely focused on being an oil exporter to other revenue streams so that if if I'm right, um, that we're in this long-term hydrocarbon abundant world and prices are going to stay low forever, that they actually aren't going to have to burn all their money in their savings account and then end up being broke. Because the problem is, and this is a part that a lot of political analysts just don't get, the Saudis, and, and regardless of how you want to put this, how you want to verbalize this, it's basically the Saudis realize that they're young people, they have to keep them working. If they can keep them working, the young people will not radicalize and they won't try to overthrow the government. They also know that if they can't keep them working, that they probably will radicalize and start to overthrow the government, which is a monarchy. So um, having diverse revenue streams gives them more security. It's, it's almost a, a way to mitigate that risk. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing stuff like building petrochemical plants. They've always been an importer of petrochemicals, even though they produce all this crude, because they just didn't care. Well, now they realize that's a different part of the value stream they can tap into. Things like tourism, right? They're spending a lot of money to grow their tourism revenue stream. Um, you know, so this is smart on their part. And the reason I say I think it helps U.S in a kind of roundabout way, is I talked a little bit about that whole radicalization of their youth. If they can keep their unemployment low, and if they can bring in diverse revenue streams, then that's gonna help modernize their young people and help transition them into adulthood and to run in the country which then means we will have much better relationship, most much better ties with the new Saudi Arabia. Now, I'm not saying this, I don't, this is going to happen in the next five years. We're talking about 50 years from now. But I think in a long-term wise, it's actually good for the U.S. as well. Now, that also means they're going to compete with us in the, uh, you know, ethylene crackers, petrochemicals, but you know what? Bring it on. I, the, the U.S. has too many good things going for us in that world. We, um, we do it better than anybody else. And so unless something kind of gets turned sideways from a political legal point of view here in the U S we, we own that market and, and nobody really can compete with us. I think a lot of this, some people are suggesting that some of the ideas that they're actually proposing are, uh, pretty ambitious, uh, such as one of the ideas is to create the world's largest IPO for Aramco, um, which is the world's biggest oil company. And another one is to establish the world's biggest sovereign wealth fund, worth over $2 trillion to invest in a variety of assets. But um, they're also saying that this Vision 2030 roadmap is a lot of ideas and a lot of good intentions, um, but there's not really a whole lot of clear directives or actually detailed strategies of how they're actually going to make that happen. Yeah, but you know, Jake, the other things you have to realize is they already have the world's, I think, second largest sovereign wealth fund, which so it already exists, which means all they're trying to do is grow it. And if uh, Saudi Aramco 
goes public, does an IPO, it will be the world's largest IPO. <laughs> you know, so that's within the realm of possibilities. It's um, I, I think one of the things they're going to struggle with literally is they're having to do this and at the same time um, keep OPEC stabilized so they can continue to have revenue from OPEC. And I think they're in a point now, and we've talked about this before, where I think OPEC is starting to destabilize. So they're they're literally gonna have to run in one direction, but keep the other part of it running. Sort of like those um, performers have to keep all those plates spinning on the sticks. Mm-hmm. That's that's the world they get ready to get into. And if they can keep all those plates spinning, they're gonna be okay. But if not, if one starts to fall, then the rest of them start to fall. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. How do people spin plates on sticks? Why would people spend plates on sticks? I don't know. And who was the first person to do that? Like, was somebody just sitting at home one day, you know, a couple of college I know who it was. Going, it was. It was a bunch of Marines sitting around, <laughs> waiting on formation. They grabbed a plate, probably spinning it on the end of their M16. <laughs> yeah, I could see that happen. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to some news about some mergers. Uh, Huntsman and Swiss specialty chemicals company Clarion said they plan to combine the world's second largest specialty chemical company valued at about $14 billion. Yeah, who keeps talking about petrochemicals being big? I don't know where I keep hearing that. I don't know, me either. (laughs) Yeah, so you want to know something interesting about this, Jake? Yeah. Are you old enough to remember when McDonald's Big Macs came in that yellow clamshell styrofoam container uh, before they put it in paper i don't know okay so, so hopefully hopefully i'm not the only person on the podcast that remembers that but anyway for a long time all over the world big macs came in this yellow styrofoam clamshell container huntsman was the one that made those styrofoam containers from mcdonald's like that was 40 years ago that's how that's how they got they start that was their big break <laughs> that's a good, that's a good big break <laughs> this is a very good that's a big lot break. of big macs being sold yeah, but you know, so this is going to make a huge uh, chemical company, and, and they, they deal a lot in the chemicals that are in the oil field. So everything from solvents to paraffin removers to corrosion inhibitors to drilling fluids, but they make also a whole bunch of other specialty chemicals, a bunch of niche niche chemicals, you know, things like food coloring and, um, you know, all kinds of different um, uh, flavors and aromas. So it's, 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 it's a great thing. The mergers give them scope. They're already both big companies, both already global companies. Um, but, you know, this will give them scope and they're going to need it because, you know, we talked, was it the show before last about DuPont and Dow merging? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when DuPont and Dow merges and they spin off the businesses that aren't petrochemical related, they're still going to be huge. So this way, this new company, Huntsman, um, is, is, will be able to compete at that level. And, and this is just good for everybody. This is more jobs being created. Especially is, here in Houston. Yeah, here in Houston. And, but it's also lowering the cost of things like paint and Tupperware and glue, right? Which only then lowers the cost of manufacturing. And, you know, people may not know this, but we're starting to have more manufacturing jobs be brought back here into the U.S. And they're being brought back here because it's become cheaper to manufacture, predominantly because our electricity costs went down because of the use of natural gas to generate electricity. But also now, all these specialty parts and pieces that are needed when you do manufacturing, the prices are going down because our chemical manufacturers are able to do it cheaper because their raw feedstock, which is crude natural gas, is also going down. So in the grand scheme of things, you're talking about bringing more manufacturing jobs here in the U.S. And Jake, that's just a good thing. Yeah. That's always a good thing. yeah, and so you know, I, I didn't see this merger coming. I, I we are so busy that I don't keep my eye on especially things like specialty chemicals, really. But this just makes perfect sense, and I suspect we'll see more of this in the next three or four years. So the next merger is actually in the offshore sector. Uh, Insco and Atwood are merging. 
uh, and all stock transition uh, transaction valued at 840 million, so a lot smaller than the last one, um, but would bring together the fleets of UK-based Insco and Houston-based Atwood, combining 26 floaters and 21 ultra deep water rigs. Yeah, so Jake, this is huge. So any place you want to drill, they can cover you now. And this is going to drive costs down, which is what we need in this low crude price environment, especially when you start thinking about deep water and ultra deep water. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing is um, uh, companies that have drilling fleets, the key metric is backlog. How many of their rigs are already under contract and for how long is that? So one of the things that's cool about this that they don't really talk about is by combining these two these two companies and by um, being able to leverage their global fleets, they're going to end up with about 50 years of, of contracted backlog. And in today's low cruise price environment, that's crazy. Nobody's even close to that. So I, I, I think this is a, a great, um, I think it's a great merger. It, it needed to happen. We're going to see more of this sort of stuff. We've already seen some of it um, in the recent history. We're going to see more of it in the future. Um, but what's going to be interesting is, is both these companies have rigs that are uh, cold stack. So basically, a rig is never designed to be shut down, and when you don't use it, they idle it, or it's called a warm sack. It's where the engines are still running. There's still electricity to it. There's still a small crew keeping it up, and that's a good way to keep a rig operational and functioning because you're sitting in salt water, right? Yeah. Um, but that only works when you know you can run it out sometime in the future. A lot of these rigs have been cold stacked, literally been cut off, no electricity, no engine. Then they've never been designed to be to be cold stacked, to be cut off. And there's no crews on them, and they're sitting in salt water. So it's gonna be really interesting to see is as as this um, merger allows them to compete at a lower cost, are is it gonna make sense to to spend the money and take their environmental risk to bring these cold stack rigs out of storage? Or will they just sell them for scrap and it make more sense to build newer, more modern, more higher horsepower, faster rigs? I, I think that's the ladders could take place, which then means, which is a crazy uh, way to think about that in this low crude price environment, with these type of mergers that are lowering costs, you may actually see more brand new rigs being built, which which nobody would guess that. And like I said, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I can actually see that actually happening and making sense. So before we jump into the next story, I'm going to tell you a funny story from this past weekend. So like I was telling you before we jumped on the mic, um, this past weekend, I you know, went to Austin uh, with my wife. We just spent the weekend there. Um, Wait, Jake, why did you do that? Four-year anniversary. Yeah, congratulations, Thank Jake. You. Four years. Four? She's put up with you for four years. She, I yeah, can't believe she it. deserves a medal. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we were uh, we were just kind of mingling with the locals. We went to a, a couple of the different bars there. Uh, my wife had never been. Uh, and we struck up a conversation with this guy. We started talking about, he was like, you know, what do you do? I was like, you know, I do stuff in oil and gas. Uh, and then he proceeded to tell me that we have five years of resources left on planet Earth. Um, <laughs> and that oil and gas was just going to completely end by, you know, like 2022, 2023. Um, and so then we got into a little, uh, you know, a little little argument about that a little bit. Um and it was it was kind of funny. And I, the reason I thought about that because this next article is jumping into California, and I think a lot of people in Austin kind of have the same mindset as a lot of people in California, uh, having lived there for four years. Um, but anyways, uh, the report shows oil and gas industry uh, as a major. Ugh. This report shows that the oil and gas industry is a major employer and leading economic driver in California, responsible for three hundred and sixty-eight thousand jobs as as of 2015 um with almost 66 billion dollars in total value added contributing to 2.7 percent of california's state gdp so now i see why you threw the story story uh, in here because this makes total sense most people in california hate the oil and gas industry. exactly and if yeah. they don't hate it they don't like it and they're trying to uh, make sure it gets pushed out of the state 
So really, California, you could throw away 3% of your GDP? <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with it because you know what's going to happen. They'll come to Texas. We, we'll, we'll take that money in a heartbeat. Um, but, you know, it, the biggest thing is, is you know, and, and they don't get into real deep, but these oil and gas companies pay a lot of taxes at the local level, at the state level, um, and that money's just going to disappear. As California makes it harder and harder for oil and gas companies to operate, at some point the companies go, you know what, it does not make fiscal sense to stay here. And when they leave, that's loss of jobs. That's loss of tax revenue. You know, that's loss of uh, local revenue. And, and you know, I, I, I totally support, you know, I'm a big believer in the, the 10th Amendment, states' rights. If the Californians don't want oil and gas in, the, in their state, I 100% support them pushing it out. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll welcome the open arms. So we've done it. We've been doing it for a long time. We'll continue to do it. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's just funny to me to watch misconceptions. Like the guy you talked about in Austin, that he really thinks we're going to run out of oil and gas in five years. I would love to ask if he knew where his iPhone came from, where the plastic came from that made his iPhone. That's, that was yeah. my exact response. I, I, oh, was I, it really? I pointed to everything around us and said, where do you think that was made from? And he was like, and they, and they just don't know. It's the same with California. You know, I spent a good bit of time out there. Um, because of what I do with a modal point, I have a lot of um, clients in the Silicon Valley area. And it's, it always tickles me. I, n- I never can smile too much when I'm there with a client. But it always tickles me when I meet with a CEO of a tech company out in Silicon Valley. And he starts lecturing about the oil and gas industry. And we end up doing some uh, market research work for him and showing him how much money his company can make from selling their product oil and gas. All of a sudden, they change their tune. <laughs> it's like, oh, I sort of like oil and gas now. You mean there's next to $50 million I didn't know I could make this year by selling my products or service to the oil and gas industry? So it just, it's just funny how something as as easy as money can change people's minds about something there. But yeah, good story, good tie-in. Um, you know, California's oil and gas industry actually used to be huge, Jake. I got an old black and white picture, and I think they're in Huntington Beach, and it's just um, wood rig after wooden rig after wooden rig for miles and miles and miles and they've gradually slowly but surely pushed all that business out of the state which yep. like i said it's it's their state they can do what they want to with it <laughs> so let's talk about our state uh texas oil and gas companies have added over twelve thousand jobs in the last six months that's cool Twelve thousand jobs just in texas in the last six months and that's all from the oil and gas industry that's amazing. That's a huge. I mean, that's a huge number. Uh, they're attributing a lot of that to the just the rise in active uh, oil and gas rigs in the Permian. Um, you know, we've been talking about that on, on a bunch of different episodes. It seems like every episode we, we mentioned the Permian at least once. Uh, you know, things over there are definitely booming, and so I think it's where a lot of these new jobs are coming from. Hey, anybody out there listening? If you're doing, if you're operating in the Permian in any form or fashion, reach out to Jake and I. We want to make a trip out there. We'll, we'll, you know, give you some exposure to the show, give your company some exposure. But we want to go spend a little time in the Permian and, and meet the people with their boots on the ground, the people actually doing the work. So reach out to us. And let's see if we can make that happen. That's but good. the other thing I think was interesting about this article, Jake, is that the total number of oil and gas jobs in Houston. Um, is up to 205,000, 200, and that's 3% higher than last year at the same time, um, which is also higher than it was the year before. So you're seeing that trend of hiring people in the oil and gas industry move up. Um, but um, the thing that's kind of cool about Texas is, is we've shifted our oil and gas business traditionally, which has always been upstream. Now we do a lot of petrochemicals and refining. So even though we lost those jobs in the upstream, the service companies that service upstream, we actually been hiring like crazy in the downstream market. So we're a little bit more diverse than we were in the 1980s, which means that um, as a whole, our industry still does good. It just depends on whether it's upstream doing good because you have higher crude prices or downstream doing good because you have lower crude prices. 
Um, but yeah, great, great to see the jobs going up. And you know what, Jake? I think that's going to accelerate. I mean, everybody that's listening yeah. knows that I think there's going to be inflation. There's not going to be enough people and parts by the very end of this year, which is not that far away. And we'll keep an eye on this one too, but it's awesome to see uh, that many new jobs being added in just the last six months. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this next article, talking a little bit about Greece. Uh, Greece is opening up onshore oil and gas proj- uh, prospects in 2018. Um, I know I know Greece has had a lot of uh, economic issues. Craziness. Yeah, <laughs> over the past like couple of years. I haven't really followed it lately, so I, I don't really know what's, what's going on uh, too much lately. But it seems like this could be something good um, for, you know, for the country of Greece. No, no, and it, it will be, right? Because once again, you're talking about jobs, you're talking about money. Um, it's, it's whether their politicians can actually run this thing properly. Um, they're building a new uh, pipeline, a trans-adriatic pipeline, which everybody calls TAP. Um, and that's going to allow them to uh, bring that gas to market. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, as this thing develops, if the government does what it should do, which is basically um, keep... Uh, um, taxation and uh, legal to the bare minimum to help this grow because this is a new um, you know onshore uh, project or because they need the money will they tax the bejeebies out of it and then basically keep it from growing as quickly as it can um, it's it's the, the people need this it's um but as our crude prices starting to creep up it's gonna make more sense and then I think we're finally at the point where there's a little bit more of a stable political climate in Greece um, and that's going to help attract more people to some of these blocks that are, that are, that are auctioned off offshore because not only do people um, companies you know like Exxon and Shell whatever not only do they look at the price of a block when it's being auctioned off they look at the stability of the region they go do business in and if there's not a lot of stability it adds a lot of cost because you got to mitigate that risk. So with a more stable political climate in Greece, I think they're going to do better auction off their blocks, which one that's, once again, it's going to bring more money to the country, bring more jobs, more prosperity. So um, good for them. Let's just hope this thing goes the right way. And a last article. Let's talk a little bit about some technology. Uh, Beyond Limits, which is uh, commercializing technology used by NASA and the U.S. Department of Defense, has announced securing of $20 million from sole investor BP Ventures. Um, so this Series B round brings the total amount raised to $25.5 million. Uh, apparently, this is, while they're calling it a startup, this, this software has been 20 years in the making. Um, it's been apparently battle-tested in deep space where there's zero margin for error and subsequently is a lot faster uh, than a lot of the other AI technology on the market. So I think that's pretty cool. I mean, if, if BP is investing in, into it, uh, they're obviously looking to utilize some, some of this technology in the oil and gas market. Yeah, where else have we been hearing about AI and artificial intelligence coming to oil and gas? I've heard that somewhere too before. <laughs> it seems like every episode yeah. these days. Yeah, so so this is great. Um, and BP obviously sees the benefit of this. You know, when you start getting to cognitive computing and natural na- um, um, language recognition, um, this is where we need to go. What happens is with artificial intelligence, especially something that has as complex an engineering world as oil and gas, the, the artificial intelligence, when it's trained properly and when it's built properly, it actually can figure out when there's missing data or if there's a future scenario and they're trying to predict what's going to happen. It's actually really good at that. Um, and so this is obviously why BP stepped into this. Um, this is um, you know some of the stuff that GE's doing with um, Predix. Um, you know I know that um, IBM's Watson. They have a dedicated oil and gas sales team. I actually know a couple of those guys. So bunch of activity around this. Um, when somebody writes a check for this much money, you know it's real. And Jake, I don't think this is I don't, I don't think this is a one off. I think you can see more and more. In fact, I know you can see more and more and more of this. Um, you know I know the big service companies. 
are looking at this really hard. I know that all the majors and the super majors have already invested money and time in this, and they will continue to invest money and time in this. We're, we're facing a world in the future, in the very near future, where there's not going to be enough people to run our industry anymore. And so we're going to have to move toward technology. But the move toward technology is to actually make things safer and drive costs down. Once again, in this long-term hydrocarbon abundant world, driving costs down in a way that makes sense is, is the way people are going to pull ahead. So um, good for BP. I can't wait to see, see what they do with this. Um, and I, I suspect that because this has been tied in with uh, NASA, that there's a whole bunch of real-world expertise already built in. So I bet instead of doing a lot of testing, you can see this start actually producing results with BP in the next year. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, that was all the articles for today. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Let's move on to the Red Wing bag winner of the week. Mark, who we got? It's uh, LJ. Now, LJ, if you're from South Louisiana, I'll say LJ Gillo. But if you're not, I'm going to say Gillette. Uh, lightning rod and pipe president and ceo so congratulations lj you have won this awesome red wing offshore bag if you would like to win your awesome red wing offshore bag it's really simple no purchase necessary see us official site for rules and details you go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast that's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast throw your information in there we draw one lucky winner a week and let me just clarify something because I've had a lot of people reach out to me. Jake and I don't draw the winner. Somebody at Red Wing draws it so that we're totally independent of who's being drawn. There's no way we can game the system, and we wouldn't do it for you anyway because it's not fair. But it's a, we have no control over who draws the name. And the weekly rig count for this week is 995 American rigs. So we're up one from last week. That's awesome. And it's um, it's um, continue to grow. Um the other thing I think is really awesome is the fact that there's some new rig um, uh, design coming on board where these rigs do multiple things. So the rig count is not as important as it used to be because when you have uh, one rig that can um, do multiple things, and that rig is actually taking the place of three. So we're kind of keep an eye on that development as well. Maybe we can actually come up with a correlation for the rig count, but to see it climb is a good thing. Of events on deck, we actually had uh, a couple of them coming up, which have disappeared out of the show notes, Jake. <laughs> so the one I have in front of me is a Valve World. It's June 20th and 21st at George R. Brown here in Houston. It's actually free to go to the expo. Um, there's courses. There's a conference. Um, so if you want to go check out uh, Valve World, there'll be a link in the show notes. If, uh, if you'd like to get to know all the events that are going on in the oil and gas industry, we put them in one newsletter uh, once a month. It's really easy. Jacob put a link in the show to go sign up for it. Uh, once a month, uh, Modal Points uh, interns take everything off the interwebs, put it in one place, put it in your inbox so you have a choice of, of seeing everything that's going on. And we often give away free passes of stuff that you can't find anywhere else. Um, first Friday Q&A is getting close. If you want to ask us a question, we've already gotten a, a couple of them uh, in already, Jake. And we're going to try to remember to actually do the first Friday Q&A for July instead of skipping it like we did for, for, <laughs> for May. Um, it's real simple. Go to Oil & Gas this week. Uh, click on Ask a Question. Enter your information. Uh, if we use your question on the air, we'll give you a big shout out. And then please, 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 uh, can you leave us a review? Even if you don't agree with us politically, <laughs> go in there and, and leave us a review. Um, it helps other people find the podcast and also um, uh, helps with the search engine rank, especially in iTunes. It takes all of five minutes. And Jake, if people struggle with leaving a review in iTunes, because it can be a, a bit confusing sometimes. Like this morning, I was trying to do it from my iPad, and I couldn't figure out how to leave a review from my iPad, which is silly. You think it would be easy. Yeah. Um, but but the, Jake could drop a link into a HubSpot article showing exactly step-by-step step how to leave a review. 
Um, real quick, we have, if you don't know, we have two other uh, podcasts with several more in the works. We have Oil & Gas hs &E and then Oil & Gas Industry Leaders. Check them out in their respective websites. Really easy to find. Um, and then we have our own website. If you've been listening for a while, you may not know it, but it's oilandgasthisweek.com. Go check it out. Uh, give us your email address. We won't spam you. And anytime we have something new coming out, it will be announced there first. And where will it be announced second, Jake? The LinkedIn group, Oil & Gas uh, Global Network. LinkedIn group. There's a link in the show notes. Yep. So go join the Oil & Gas Global Network on LinkedIn. It's it's the sister to all of the podcasts. We'll continue to be the sister to all the podcasts. Uh, our own Paige Wilson moderates every single member and every single comment, so there is zero spam. And if she catches you spamming, that's your butt. <laughs> you're, you're. Um, speaking of butts, Jake, uh, is it time to get our butts out of here? Let's do it. All right, folks. Do great work. Pay it forward. And we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com. <laughs>